Welcome to the 78th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about corporate communications and the often knee-jerk reactions that technical folks seem to default to when those communications go wrong or they're misinterpreted or... You get go right or are simply done or... So this this episode topic is not again, one of our super technical ones, but it came to mind from an email from October 23rd. I saw the follow-up to this from GitLab and GitLab had made a couple of changes to their terms of services about how they were doing some user tracking tools. And I think they were talking about stuff mostly going into Pendo, but they had reserved the right to talk to other services and other things. And they got a lot of pushback from the community. And in some ways was very rightfully so. It was it was not a well-communicated change. It was opt-out and not opt-in, so it kind of violated GDPR. But the internet went kind of rapid on it. And very quickly, I got the, the walk-back email of, oh, sorry, we did not mean to anger our users quite so much. And we're pulling all that back out, and we will discuss at a later time through proper channels and proper community discussion how we would want to do this kind of thing in the future. I use GitLab a little bit, not as much as their competitors, but I was completely unaware of changes that were being pushed through, and I probably wasn't even paying attention. And then all of a sudden, my inbox fills up with these crazy emails from GitLab, and it was clear that the internet was on fire. And I went back and I looked at my my archive messages, and I had gotten the terms of service update from GitLab, the one that had all of the language in it, but I had, and I must admit that I archived it without reading it, because I get so many emails from so many people about terms of services, I hadn't even Who bothered. Who reads those? No one reads those. Well, apparently some group of people did and, and raised a big stink about it, but the way that the GitLab folks walked back, the, the, the language they used in their attraction was actually really good. They were very human about it. And we talked about this a while ago when it came to the Cloudflare um, denial of service. Was it denial of service? The Cloudflare communications from a, from a little while ago. And I really encourage our listeners to go and read the linked issues in GitLab about GitLab that talk about what, what they were doing and how they kind of fumbled the ball when it comes to this communication. And I think my favorite quote from all of this was, our main mistake was that we did not live up to our own core value of collaboration by including our users, contributors, and customers in the strategy discussion. And for that, I am truly sorry. So they did a pretty good job about communicating and saying, hey, we made a mistake. We're, we're pulling back. Coincidentally, also at the end of October, there was a Terraform um, GitHub issue, number 47, yeah, 4747 that got raised. Um, somebody had noticed that the partner ID parameter in Azure Terraform API calls was being set to Terraform. And the Azure documentation is not the greatest, we'll say. And it looked from the surface like basically Terraform was using a internal um, like referral ID or affiliate link ID effectively to harness some credits if people hadn't been setting the provider id to say oh well we should let terraform like hashicorp pick up those those credits or that money or that whatever it was and until i was doing research for this episode and pulling all my links together that's what i thought it was because i hadn't read the whole thing some kickback operation 
and that wasn't what it was at all. And the the guy who founded HashiCorp responded to the Hacker News thread, and I missed that as well. And he responded in the the PR, and he basically walked through exactly what was going on. That this is something that Microsoft asked them to do so they could track how much effort they needed to put into Terraform versus other tooling and other other things. There was no money involved. There never had been money involved. And all of this was completely innocuous. Basically, it was, this is the lever we're going to use to get Microsoft to give us better APIs, not anything along the lines of nefarious use of money or trying to move things around or trying to mask other people's IDs. Wasn't that just an additional field in the resource API for Azure that Microsoft wrote and contributed? Basically, yeah. And Microsoft added it so they could see who was using the APIs. And of course, some people don't want to, you know, broadcast their user agent or other headers. And so the Terraform, the HashiCorp people have added a way to say, you know, I, I don't want to broadcast that I'm using Terraform to call the Microsoft APIs. But again, it's one of those situations that happens so frequently that people get a, either a one-sided view of something, they get partial information of something, they, they don't entirely understand the situation and the internet ignites and people go rabid and start, you know, calling for blood. I think we're so sensitized or desensitized to the fact that so much on the internet is about taking your personal information and figuring out ways to, to profit off of that information somehow, some way. And rightly so, I think a lot of people have gotten wise to what some companies are attempting to do. And when they see more of it happen or more of it happen in a manner they say they think is inappropriate, they call the sirens. I mean, to be fair, when is the last time a terms of service update that Facebook made benefited you as a user in terms of your privacy? (laughs) It's been a while. Like those, generally speaking, a lot of these communications that come out are negative, but you get to the point where, and I hate to do this, but it's like the hot coffee lawsuit thing that most of our listeners have probably never really heard the full story of because it happened a long time ago. But in the the 90s. 90s, Yeah, in the late 90s, an elderly woman was in the drive-thru at a McDonald's and was given a cup of coffee that was like 190 degrees. For 49 cents. It spilled on her lap. And she needed skin grafts and she she was in the hospital for weeks. And all she wanted was basically McDonald's to cover her medical care. And they refused to. And so she filed suit to cover her medical care because basically there was no reasonable way a human being would expect coffee to be that hot. And the McDonald's lawyers went kind of viral in the media trying to push out this story about how she was frivolous lawsuit this and all the, and no, what she wanted was her medical bills to be covered. And this was about tort reform, not, a frivolous lawsuit you gave me a cup of coffee that was too hot but a lot of people still think of it as the hot coffee lawsuit and how silly american legal systems are and that's not what it is because again we have this tendency we get part of a story and we jump on it and we dig in and we never ever let go and um, if you can if you can figure out how to operate social media or the media in general to show that legal issue or a specific specific issue in a certain light can you leverage that as far as your as, as customer opinion goes? Can you leverage that to sway a, a jury? Can you leverage that to, to win a law a court case, a lawsuit? 
Or can you use it to at least influence the court of public opinion? And then people hate a company or love a company regardless of the merits of the situation because you've... Yes, the court of public opinion and just no one does business with that company anymore. There's a really famous uh, Reddit comment um, that one of the EA developers or social media coordinators or somebody posted. And it turns out it's the most downvoted Reddit comment ever. I think was it say it's like minus 680,000 votes. I was talking about the, the loot crates in Star Wars Battlefront and the internet, I think this time rightfully was pretty angry <laughs> because when you dig into the whole story and you kind of look at the mechanics of loot crates and how they work and how they're monetizing game, and there's a whole thing there. But the internet went berserk. I don't think there's, you know, nearly a million people who have played the game and were that angry about it. But once the internet started piling on, everybody started piling on. And it's like, guys... I know Penny Arcade hasn't always been a shining pinnacle of, you know, internet journalism, but there was a great comic from, again, a long time ago, from March of 2004, which makes me feel old, um, and it was Gabriel's Greater Internet FWAD Theory, and it was the, the, postul- the, the basic premise was a normal person plus an audience plus anonymity turns people into total jerks, and he was referring to, like, 2004 Unreal Tournament, but it's still very true today, and it's one of those things that gets brought up again and again in work circles because yeah, you give somebody a megaphone and no repercussions, and they're going to be jerks about stuff. And they're going to find things to be inflammatory about because it gets them either attention or notoriety or whatever. And back to corporate communication, you have to be really careful when you let people with that megaphone, with it, the anonymity, to get up and start shouting about how bad a company is or how poorly planned the thing was or what this outage did and realize that a lot of the people who are writing the corporate communications are not like trained journalists. Most of them, unfortunately are folks like us who are being told during a firefighting exercise, Oh, we need to message the users, update the status page. We need to message a thing. I need to send a, an email to the C levels to tell them about a thing that happened. Hey, Britain, you're in charge of our external communication during this outage that GCP is having yesterday. Let's go. Exactly. And it doesn't take a lot of pressure or sleep deprivation or anything else to make you not word those things quite so correctly. And if the if the audience of that communication only reads half of it before they jump down your throat, you're going to feel pretty upset because they didn't read all the whole thing for the first off. And the second, they're not getting the whole whole story. So you have to be extraordinarily careful with how you both produce and consume these messages because a lot of them are just pieces of data in the stream they're not the whole message you need to go take take a deep breath think about it a little bit write another email write another response add a little more context for the people without overwhelming them or wait until the next the other shoe drops on the incoming news to say oh well, this wasn't that or no actually really really was and we should go to our, we should go get our torches and pitchforks part of this for me is is the realization that we're unfortunately reinventing a lot of things that we've learned in journalism and similar fields in the modern IT world very much so and it's and it's really trying to grapple with this company is trying their best to communicate with the skill they know how but they're not a journalist form for a firm doing in-depth reporting they don't know quite they don't have that those centuries of experience in wording that article to communicate effectively and well. 
Yeah, or it's they're, they come into it doing damage control because somebody has found a PR that has a commit in it or whatever the, the, the change is. And they say, oh, well, I'm assuming this is this is the whole this is the whole outrage. And they go from there without looking at, at the rest of the context. And so it gets shared to Hacker News or to Reddit or what have you is the inflammatory commit where they change the provider ID. Ah, yes, you can take commit out of context as well. <laughs> and you go, so why? And then the PR team's going, what do you know? This is not a what? And they're trying as fast as they can to do damage control because negative news travels really fast and positive news takes a lot longer to get out. I mean, the example for me right now is as I was doing research for this episode, and this only happened a couple of weeks ago, I still thought they were doing something with affiliate stuff. And I I don't really mind if HashiCorp makes a little bit of money if people don't set a default value because they do the really Microsoft good stuff. The Microsoft Terraform thing, yeah. But it turns out that that's not what it was at all. And I hadn't even followed up for the good news side of it. And that, A, makes me feel a little guilty, but B, also re reinforces the point of this episode that really take time to apply a critical lens to whatever is, especially when the outrage stories start. Think about it. Think about what's going on. Think about how the person who's trying to communicate from the company's perspective is acting. They're not acting in bad faith almost almost every time they're not acting in bad faith. They're doing what they think is the appropriate thing to do. And they're trying to communicate information. So let them communicate. Go dig into whatever's going on. Take a deep breath. See what other people are saying. Be your own investigative reporter. Please. The issue here is frankly is a common thundering herd issue there are more people on the internet reacting poorly to a bad commit than there are employees at your company trying to be on the ground and fix a problem so yeah you start to understand why the internet's on fire and the company is is trying the best they can to get in front of the ball but that ball is moving really fast and, and sometimes watching corporations do damage control on, say, Twitter or something is it, it is kind of <laughs> comical to watch. Um, some some media intern somewhere thought it would be a really great idea to let the internet vote on the names of you know something, and then 4chan finds it, and suddenly you have you know racist Nazi slurs everywhere, and that is kind of what happens when you let the internet vote just without any kind of filters. I would like to suggest. Bodie McBoatface. That's actually the canonical good example of this that we can share <laughs> and talk about with especially younger listeners. Um, but yeah, you don't let the internet vote because the internet's full of people who are bored and they, 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 they either have an axe to grind or they think it would be funny if they did. And Or you host a late night show and you know, it wouldn't be funny if your fans voted for your thing. And then all of a sudden you have a bridge named Stephen Colbert. Yes. I'm not sure that actually happened, but I know they did some similar things. I really like Stephen Colbert. He's my hero. He's pretty awesome. John Oliver's on my list. So that's the summation of it. It's a short episode this time. I just wanted to stress, again, one of these, these less technical topics about taking the time to think things through, to gather information, to do all the things that we we espouse that we've been trained to do by either our years of service or our education or both, but we need to practice these things. We need to actually demonstrate that we can take a critical eye and we can stop and think and parse the nuance of what's being said and the community around it and the reactions to it. Yeah. Stop and think 
before you start writing that next Reddit comment or Facebook thread. Because it, it might be funny, but it's also probably pretty hurtful to the person who's inside the company trying to figure out what went wrong. Like, what what did they do to cause the internet to blow up on them today? Because it never seems to strike with, strike with rhyme or reason when you're the person being attacked. Nope. And that wraps it up for episode 78 of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. Thanks, and good night.